Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Make It Plain. Make It Plain. M-I-P. With Massimella Mark Thompson. Make It Plain. And in thinking of who we chat with today, I wanted to bring someone back on the show who in the past has served the role on the show as a historian, but that was his calling. He graduated from South Carolina State in 1962 with his BS degree in history. And he was a social studies teacher uh, in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, once a history professor, always a history professor. We all know him most now as the representative from South Carolina, the first to be elected since Reconstruction to Congress, the first African-American. Uh, and he also is the House Majority Whip. But the hat he's wearing today, as I said, is history professor, as we recognize Juneteenth. The Honorable James Clyburn joins us once again on Make It Plain. Good to see you, Doctor. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, thank you so much for having me back. Yes, sir. I, you know, I, I want you, I want this to be your classroom. And, sure. you know, obviously a lot of people are talking about Juneteenth, even folk who've never known about it before. It's popular uh, this year uh, for good reasons and bad, obviously for all the things that we've been facing this year and this pandemic and police-demic, but from your perspective as a history professor, from those who don't, who don't know, and from you being a teacher in the classes you taught, talk to us about Juneteenth and, and what you've imparted to your students over the years. Well, thank you once again for having me. You know, the thing that I like most uh, to talk about when it comes to Juneteenth 
is its origin. As most of us are aware, uh, the Emancipation Proclamations, and I'm putting the S on that because people seem not to realize there are two. One that freed uh, blacks in the District of Columbia. And there was a second one written in 1862, but uh, made to be effective uh, January 1, 1863. So Abraham Lincoln signed two Emancipation Proclamations freeing slaves. Now, the second one, effective January 1, 1863, freed blacks in the former slave states. Uh, I know we're being a bit technical here, but that's what it did. It meant that if you were held in slavery in any other state, uh, not a slave state, you were still not free. That's why we had to have the 13th Amendment. And those people who may have watched the movie Lincoln, you saw that the big battle, that movie was about the battle of getting the 13th Amendment. Abraham Lincoln knew exactly what he was doing. He did everything he could to get the 13th Amendment uh, passed because he knew two things. First, he had not freed all blacks. And he knew secondly, that the moment he stepped out of office, the executive order, you see the Emancipation Proclamation was not legislation passed by Congress. It was an executive order by the President of the United States. Uh, executive orders are very powerful. A lot of people don't realize the armed services were integrated by an executive order by Harry Truman in 1948. So, but executive orders die with the president. The next president, unless he or she renews it, he will not be operative. So here we are, January 1, 1863, all blacks in the former slave states of which Texas was one, were free, except for the fact that it was not communicated to all blacks. So Juneteenth comes about because it was on June 19, 1865, that General Granger went to Galveston, Texas to inform the slaves there that they were free. Count it up. January 1, 1863 is when the Emancipation Proclamation uh, became effective and Blacks in Texas were free, except nobody communicated it to them and they didn't know. So I like to talk about Juneteenth as being an example of the importance of communicating. So if a thing happened, you know, there's all adders that they use in law schools a lot. That's if a tree falls in the woods and nobody is there to hear it, does it make a sound? That's the case. So if blacks were freed and nobody told them, do they have any freedom? Mm -hmm. And so that's what Juneteenth is all about. That's the day that General Granger freed the blacks in Galveston, Texas. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So now, just to go back now, 
January, the Second Emancipation Proclamation went to effect January 1st, 1863. That's correct. What year was the 13th Amendment passed and ratified? Well, I was afraid you're gonna ask me that question. If G.K. Butterfield were here for me, he would smack me <laughs> and not remember it. It's so funny about that because G.K. Butterfield loves to uh, uh, talk about who ratified the 13th Amendment. Because you know these amendments have to be ratified uh, state by state. Uh, and so the date that it passed and the date it became effective, there's a long distance between the date that Congress approved the 13th Amendment and the last state that ratified. And uh, North Carolina played a critical role in that. I don't know if they were the last state or the first state to ratify the 13th Amendment, but um, I don't remember uh, the year at the moment. Well, I, so I'm looking at it. It, it, it's, it. What I thought it was, I just wanted to be sure, it was in 1865. So on, well, on The 13th Amendment was ratified before Juneteenth is what you're telling me. So the 13th Amendment passed the House of Representatives on January 31st, 1865. So, the so, right. Right, so, so the, final, the final ratification was not until December 6th of 1865. Okay. So in between there is when Juneteenth happened, but obviously, those who were enslaved in Texas, I think that's the point, neither knew about 1863 or or January of 1865. So they didn't know about the, the, the second proclamation and they didn't know about the first passage of the act even before it was ratified. I don't know when Texas actually ratified, ratified the 13th Amendment. I do know that Mississippi just ratified it a few years ago, Lord have mercy. Uh, <laughs> you know, there are some, there are some who claim that South Carolina never did. There is this theory that's going around. I've never really verified this, and I've tried uh, to find out whether or not it's true. Uh, that what South Carolina technically did was to incorporate the wording of the Thirteenth Amendment into the South Carolina Constitution's Fifth Amendment, and when they adopted their own Fifth Amendment as a Constitution they prevail upon the federal government to recognize that as having been accepting the 13th Amendment. I, I've never been able to uh, determine that to really be true, but uh, that's what some of the uh, experts uh, say. You know, I just study history. I love history. Yes, I used sir. to teach it. I don't call myself a historian by any, by any means. Well, okay, so... Uh, Texas actually itself did not ratify the ter 13th Amendment until February of 1870. I mean, there was enough it to be to be ratified by the other states, but Texas itself didn't ratify it. Well, did, remember, the, every state does not have to. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, you know, if, if, if uh, what is it, two-thirds? Yes, uh, yeah. two-thirds. And so there were, and there were fewer states back then. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, you you have taught history for so long, and you've known our history. When did you first come to know 
about Juneteenth and its importance. I mean, I know it's very popular now. It's very popular yeah. in the midst of, but I remember when folk never he even heard of it. When did, you, was, when, when did you first realize its importance? I was a college student okay. before I knew about Juneteenth. And really, when I first learned about Juneteenth, I thought that it was June 19, 1863. Mm. It was not until I started doing the research and I found out uh, that no, it was not the June 19, 1865. I thought they got the word six months later. No, they got the word uh, two years and six months later, 30 months. Wow, wow. Now, what I'm also looking at too, and again, I don't know how accurate this is, but there's something here that says South Carolina ratified in November of 1865. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Uh, the, the question is, did South Carolina take a direct vote on the ratification mm-hmm. or did they incorporate the rat- the, that language uh, into the, the state's constitution? If, I think it's the Fifth Amendment to the state constitution, whether or not that was considered to be ratification. But that is the thing that there's, there's debate on. Uh, having not been present, uh, I don't know exactly uh, what how technical that was. But you know, people get, especially when we have these false doctrines of history, uh, people get real touchy about whether or not uh, to vote on something directly. We still do that in, in, in the college. There are a lot of times things are incorporated in the piece of legislation that is allowed to become law without having to have a direct vote on it so people can maintain plausible deniability. So I suspect a lot of uh, South Carolinians did not want ever uh, it to be said that they voted uh, for ratification, and maybe it was something like that. I don't know. I've never gotten that deep into it. More MIP after this message. So I'm curious that we're looking at 1865, and I know you know this history well, too. Uh, how, how long or how close to 1865? was South Carolina's congressional delegation that looked like us, that, that represented us? Well, uh, the first African-American to be elected to Congress was from South Carolina. Right. Now, let me, let's get this history right. Okay. The first African-American elected to Congress was from South Carolina, Joseph Rennie. Now, that was 1870. December, in a special election, mm-hmm. December 1870. So come December 2020, we're going to celebrate the 150th anniversary of the first per- Black person being elected to Congress. And we're going to have a big ceremony there uh, in the Capitol. We're going to have a big display dedicated to him. And I am hopeful that I get it done by then. There is a room on the first floor that I'm trying to get named in honor of Joseph Rennie, who was originally from Georgetown, South Carolina, but having gone to Bermuda, running away from slavery, came back to this country after Emancipation Proclamation and lived in Charleston when he came back. Now, the reason I emphasize the election part is because back then there were two black United States senators. Now, 
from one from Louisiana and one from Mississippi. And of course, they were not elected, popularly elected. They were elected by the Senate of their state right. and sent to Washington uh, to represent And, and that's them. how they did it back then, just to be clear. Do that's we, right. They, they hadn't started popular election of senators yet. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. and, and back then, too, that was possible because you had state legislatures during Reconstruction where we as African-Americans had won seats. Oh, hell, a lot of seats. In fact, in South Carolina, two-thirds of the General Assembly in South Carolina was black. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of the House of Representatives was black, but we never had a majority in the state Senate, but in the state House of Representatives, it was majority black. And if my memory serves on this, we had four Congress people, and three of them were black. Right, including, I think, Robert Elliott. Yes, and Robert, Robert Elliott, who was the uh, Speaker of the State House of Representatives here in South Carolina. But he went on to Congress. Uh, in fact, you know, uh, it's technically, Reconstruction lasts only 12 years. Yeah. Now we, we, we often refer to that period all the way up to the 1890s as being the Reconstruction period. The fact of the matter is, the Reconstruction lasted from 1865 and was over in 1877. Yeah. Uh, so Reconstruction came to end in 1877, largely on legislation being passed. One was a Supreme Court decision in 1872 involving Louisiana, a Cruchon case, and then the President versus Ferguson case, Carter put in law, uh, separate but equal, uh, that was what, 1896? That case, and, and it was, that's the period. Because when that case was decided, that people tended to uh, say this was the ending uh, of Reconstruction mm -hmm. uh, and the beginning of Separate but Equal. No, uh, Jim Crow started after around 1877 and lasted all the way through uh, that particular period of uh, 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 the 1890s. So George Washington, Murray left Congress, he was from South Carolina, in 1897. The last black to serve in Congress until the 1930s was uh, George White from North Carolina. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He left in 1901, and that's the last black to serve uh, until the 1930s when, uh, what's this, uh, the priest, uh, Oscar Della Priest uh, from yeah. Illinois. Yeah, yeah. So this is fascinating. So uh, of the members, so there was a Richard Kane. Yes. From South Carolina. He served in the U.S. House and U.S. Senate. He was a uh, minister. In fact, Kane uh, was uh, an AME. Uh, my memory says he may have been bishop. More MIP after this message. Yeah, I believe he was. He was, uh, yeah, he was an AME church. And I believe he was a, a bishop. That is, that is correct. Mm -hmm. uh, we, in South Carolina also, we mentioned Robert Elliott, who was in Congress. There was, and it's really, as I'm looking at all the representatives, there was Robert Smalls, uh, who was a state senator, but also a member of Congress. Yeah, he stated, uh, that Robert Smalls, to me, is the most consequential South Carolinian to ever live. Hmm, okay. And I, I, I can make that case. Now, Please. you know, there are a lot of people 
We'll talk about John C. Calhoun. Uh, they may even talk about the Strom Thurmond and uh, a bunch of people, but I can make the case that Robert Smalls uh, was the most consequential South Carolinian ever. And I believe mm. that very strongly. Well, well, tell us about that, because I want people to hear that history. Make, make the case, if you would. Well, Robert Smalls was born in slavery, mm -hmm. born in Beaufort, South Carolina. His mother was a slave. They were in the possession of the McGee family. And Robert Smalls, when he was only 12 years old, McGee, John McGee, I believe was his first name, uh, McGee started to fall on hard times. Things were not going well for him. He then sent Robert Smalls to Charleston to work on the waterfront. Mm -hmm. And he was only 12. He worked on the waterfront and under the deal back then, slaves could be farmed out and whatever income they made went back to the master. So Robert Smalls was working the Charleston waterfront and the money was going to uh, his master, John McGee, back in Buford. Well, Robert Smalls, true to the book that was written by Andrew um, Billingsley, a former president of Morgan State, uh, Andrew Billingsley came down to South Carolina uh, and spent two or three years here. Uh, and the whole time he was here uh, as a professor over at the University of South Carolina, he did research and ended up writing a book on Robert Smalls. And the book is entitled, Yearning to Breathe Free. Mm -hmm. And that's an apt description of Robert Smalls. Mm -hmm. so while Robert Smalls was working there on the waterfront, he was yearning to be a free man. He started studying the currents. He was observant of the captain of the ship. Uh, the ship was named the Planter. And he was working on that ship, observing how the captain ran the ship, learning how the currents of the Charleston Harbor. He was listening to the whistles as the captain used the whistles to signal certain things uh, for the ship to pass. Uh, and he was watching the habits of the captain and everybody working there. So Robert Smalls, after he thought he had learned enough, uh, one night, he noticed that the captain and everybody on the ship, they weren't paying attention to them. They were slaves and he thought ignorant. Uh, and so uh, like every Friday night or Saturday night, I don't remember which one it was, but on the weekends, they would go in the town, leave the ship to the slaves. And they would all go in the town and um, participate in whatever activities, uh, most of which was a lot of drinking. So one night, <clears throat> And they all went to town, left nobody on the ship but the slaves. Robert Smalls uh, absconded the planter. And he planned it well. Uh, everybody on board wouldn't go with him. But everybody who wanted to go, he took them with him. 
And because he knew what whistles sounds to make, as he passed Fort Sumter, he pulled the whistles and was waved through because the people at Fort Sumter, who was supposed to be guarding the harbor, thought the ship was being manned by the captain and gave it safe passage. Because he knew the currents, he knew exactly how to get that ship out of the Charleston Harbor. He stopped up in the north, what's now North Charleston, picked up his wife, children, and a few more friends, and went on to deliver that ship to the Union soldiers. And, uh, and to reward him, he was given $1,500 in cash and his freedom. And Robert Smalls turned that $1,500 into great wealth. And he became um, a, a, uh, a member of Congress. Now, before he became a member of the House of Representatives here and Congress, Robert Smalls, in the company of a Presbyterian minister, now his freedom it was like 1862 mm -hmm. in March, spring of 1862 when he did this. That following August, he, in the company of a Presbyterian minister, went to Washington and sat down with Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. Wow. Abraham Lincoln, you may recall, was a big advocate for black folks uh, being inducted into the army to fight for their own freedom on the Union side. They were not allowed to do so until <clears throat> it looked like the North might lose the war mm -hmm. and they needed manpower. So they made the case. Abraham Lincoln entertained Frederick Douglass and Robert Smalls they made the case for blacks going into the army to fight for their own freedom. Mm. Robert Smalls was authorized to come back to South Carolina and recruit blacks to serve in the army. He was authorized to get up to 40,000 black troops, which he did. Mm. Think about that. Wow. He came back to South Carolina, recruited up to 40,000 uh, black people to fight for their own freedoms. He continued to work on that ship because he was inducted into the army because even back then, because he didn't know how to read and write, he was not allowed to go into the Navy, but he was inducted into the army and then the army assigned him to the naval ship, to the Navy. Mm. And he uh, helped them win the war by uh, knowing the currents in the Charleston Harbor. And then, of course, uh, 40,000 troops. And a lot of historians say that's what made the difference in winning the war, those 40,000 black people uh, that were inducted uh, into uh, the army by Robert Smalls. Now, what's more consequential than that? Right. Now, he follows all of that by getting elected to the uh, South Carolina legislature where he served for 10 years. He followed that by getting elected to the United States Congress, 
where he served another 10 years. Uh, the backdrop to all of this, Robert Smalls was a member of the Constitutional Convention of 1868, I believe it was, or 66. Uh, that is when, remember the Emancipation Proclamation of 1863, then South Carolina had this Constitutional Convention uh, to figure out how uh, all this is going to get done. Hmm. And of course, uh, he was a member of that convention. Robert Smalls is also a member of the 1895 Constitutional Convention. Now, what is so amazing about this, he got his freedom codified in the 1868 Convention. He got his freedom taken away from him in the 1895 convention. Hmm. According to my research, he was one uh, of uh, only two people uh, who went to both conventions. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's an incredible story. Well, there's one other story I want to tell you about Robert Smalls. Please. So Robert Smalls goes back to Beaufort. By this time, John McGee was really in bad shape. Uh, lost all of his wealth. Mm -hmm. His wife took ill. Mm -hmm. Robert Smalls bought the house that he was a slave in and brought the widow of McGee into that home and took care of her till she died. Mm. Wow. That's something else. Yeah, and no, I agree with you. He, he of, of all the folk, he was pretty, he was definitely the most consequential. Um, I'm just going to lift up a couple other names before we go, since we're on South Carolina. Alonzo Ranzier. Uh, he was in Congress. And he was also... Ranzier. Ranzier. He was also Lieutenant Governor of South Carolina from December... 1870 to December 1872. So you all had a black lieutenant governor, even then. And, and folks, this is the point. This was the power of Reconstruction. There were thousands of black elected officials, right. and that's why they took it away, because we were cleaning up. And lastly, Jonathan Wright, state senator and first black associate justice of the South Carolina Supreme Court, 1870 to 1877. Things that you know, would be unheard of today, so to speak, in terms of the way. But that's that's where we were, and that's what yeah. we were. Well, well, you know, we had a second lieutenant governor too, uh, R.J. Gleaves, I believe, was his name. Okay. Uh, and secretary of state, uh, state treasurer. There was a black state treasurer. Uh, there's an interesting story about him, um, uh, Cardoza. Cardoza, yeah, Francis Lewis Cardoza, yeah. Francis Lewis Cardoza, the state treasurer. A lot of people don't know it, but Cardoza High School in Washington, D.C. Right. was named for Francis uh, Cardoza, who escaped from South Carolina. I say escaped because when they were, uh, you know, way in Hampton, who people are now uh, talking a little bit about. And I think uh, we're going to have some adjustments made to South Carolina history. And Pitchfork Ben Tillman, uh, all of these people, they drove black people out of South Carolina mm -hmm. uh, to keep them from holding office uh, because their numbers were too big. Uh, and so uh, they 
Francis Cardoso left and went to Washington, D.C. A very smart guy, highly educated. And he uh, kind of became one of the top educators in Washington, D.C. And subsequently, uh, Cardoza High School was built and named in his honor. Yes, now, a lot of people think that, that uh, Cardoza High School was named uh, for a former Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was um, Francis Louis Cardoza. Yeah, a lot of people do think that, you know. Uh, they think it was named after Benjamin, but it was named after Francis Louis. You're absolutely right. Right, right. Uh, this is what we wanted. We wanted uh, to folk to hear you flex that history muscle of yours. <laughs> and folks, it's important because um, as far as I'm concerned, uh, Congressman Clyburn is continuing in a tradition in terms of, of, of Black South Carolinians who struggled and fought their way to represent their community. And that struggle's not over. Uh, so to me, he's a direct link um, to that history that he's just shared with us. And we are more than thankful for that. Congressman, I know you don't call yourself a historian, but, but you've taught, so Professor, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's Appreciate a pleasure. Being here. Happy Juneteenth to you. Same to you, my man. All right, all right. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.